I will not overreact to the Jaleel Farouk catch on Twitter. I will not overreact to the Jaleel Farouk catch on Twitter. But oh my god, it was pretty awesome, right? Come on, surely everyone has seen that by now. The one-handed catch going in the indoor. Jaleel Farouk, who had an awesome Alamo Bowl last year. He's one of the guys we're expecting to step into a much bigger role. Parker, I'm trying not to overreact to Jaleel Farouk's catch on social media, but you got to help me out here because I'm really, really close. It was a nice catch. I'll give him that. But here's here's what you got to keep in mind. And again, not saying the hype for Jaleel Farouk is undeserved. What I am saying is... You can take any one highlight from practice and make a guy look like a stud based on that one clip. I do think Jalil Farouk is going to be really good, but I look, Tyler, they just as easily could have taken a clip of one of the walk-ons making a one-handed catch. But the walk-ons catch. didn't make the one-handed catch. It's Jalil Farouk <laughs> in traffic. Come on, man. No, I feel you. And look, that's. I think we're starting to see the type of potential that Jalil Farouk has because – if there is one guy in that wide receiver room that was underutilized last year, it was probably Farouk. He had a lot more to show than what he was able to show in Muleshoe's offense. Isn't that weird, though, that an offensive-minded head coach that's supposed to be some guru, the brightest offensive mind out there, could misuse a guy that's six foot one, two oh five, and got playmaking potential like that? Now, I know a lot of it's still unproven. We got to see a lot from Jalil Farouk, but. The one game where Muleshoe wasn't the head coach, he was really good. And it sounds like, and I'm not just taking that one clip, Parker, it sounds like Jaleel Farouk's had a really good spring, too. He like, has. Like, he yes. looks poised to be the number one or the number two wide receiver on this team. I, I guess that's what's odd to me is everyone just praises that guy for how great he is offensively, yet there was a wide receiver on the roster last year that really could have helped this team out. I'll say he's the number three wide out. Heading into the season for me. Right now behind Mims and Theo Weiss. Uh, okay. I might put Jaleel Farouk number two. How about that? Okay. And Who do you think two? he's ahead of? Weiss? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if he keeps making one-handed catches that they put on Twitter, Parker, I'm going to get you know out of my mind a little bit. And uh, who knows? Maybe by the end of the spring, I put him number one. Kidding, of course, but it was uh, looked like a really nice play by him. And, again, he's had a really nice spring and has shown some true potential. I keep asking, Parker, who the deep threat is going to be with this offense. I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think it just has to be who the deep threat is going to be. I think that Mims and Farouk and Theo, I think there's a real potential here. We could have multiple deep threats within the offense. Now, I don't know the last time an OU offense had that. Multiple guys, I guess it would probably be C.D., and Hollywood on the same team, but there hasn't been very many years, and OU's been stacked at receiver for as long as I can remember. Hasn't been a whole lot of years where you could say, at any point, at any time, you can throw a deep ball to either one of these two guys, and you got to feel good about your chances on hitting on a play down the field. Oh, you might have that. Well, and I think what's all the more exciting, too, is when you have a deep ball threat that can also go up and get a jump ball. You know, he's not just somebody that can beat somebody deep. He's a guy where maybe the throw hangs up in the air a little bit longer than it should. And he's got to backtrack or he's got to slow his body down. And he's got to jump over somebody. He's got to moss somebody to go and get the football. Marvin Mims, despite being five foot eleven, he's got the ability to do that. You saw that in the Red River Showdown last year. 
Jalil Farouk certainly has the ability to do that. We've seen Theo Weiss make those kinds of plays. So in terms of downfield weapons, yeah, Dylan Gabriel's got a lot of them in this Oklahoma passing attack. It's one thing you can't defend. I mean, you can be as, as good as you want on defense, but if the offense you're facing has two dudes on the outside that can go up and make a play one-on-one, go get jump balls, that's really, really tough to defend. And we'll see if OU has a couple of those guys – like you said, Mims last year in the Texas game, he's shown that he can be that dude. If Farouk emerges, man, watch watch out for this wide receiver core. It could turn into maybe the best in the conference and, next year. And I'll continue to say it. Keep an eye on Caden Helms and keep an eye on Jaden Gibson. Because one thing Jeff Lebby loves is size. Those, those two dudes, despite being young, have a ton of size. They've got speed. They've got playmaking ability. If I'm picking two newcomers that are going to make an impact in the passing game for the Sooners, I'm looking at those two. Air Cover Solutions text line says, can we talk about the elite level camera work on the tweets? It, it was pretty it was It was great. It was elite all the way around is what it was when they put that thing out. I think it's on the OU. Yeah, it's on the OU football Twitter there, account. There is nothing more satisfying. Well, I shouldn't say that. There are a few things more satisfying than just getting an elite camera shot like that. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're like, dang, I nailed that. And then you go and watch it back and you're like, oh yeah, I nailed that. Yeah, I wouldn't really know. My days on the sideline, I basically had a camera that you would take to a uh, backyard barbecue oh, and really? take pictures of. So I wasn't capturing a whole lot of great moments down there. That was about 10 years ago. So I got gotcha. you. Yeah. My uh, portfolio of photos, Parker, I don't think that you would be very impressed with any of the, the uh, pics I took. All right. Um, Text line, let's get involved here, 405-651-3439. There's a tweet out on our Twitter page, at Sports Talk 1400. If you're not following us there already, come on. If you're an OU, come on, Parker. If you're an OU fan and you're not following our Twitter account, what are you doing? Because we use it to promote the shows, but we also do questions out there that we'll show clips from a press conference or get you know questions out there that get the listeners involved. If you're an OU fan, trust me, we've got great content there. You want to follow us at Sports Talk 1400. But I sent a picture of this year's schedule, and I asked where is the toughest game on the schedule for OU football. And I've been one. Teddy and I did our you know three toughest games going into next year last week. Okay. And I thought a lot of people would have an issue of me putting Nebraska at number two. No, I, I don't. Just because it's so early on in the year, um, that is a kind of make-or-break game for their season. I feel like like you're going to get whatever the best version of Nebraska is, you're going to get it in week three. Let me ask, what was your number one? Uh, Texas. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. For some of the same reasons, yes. you're going to get their best shot. If this new coaching staff's going to get it going, they're going to need a signature marquee win. I don't think Texas is beating Alabama. You're going to get... <laughs> You're going to get it all against Texas in the second weekend of October. We know that. It's still relatively early on um, in year one with Brent Vittables. There's some challenges there. But there's a lot of people saying Nebraska is the toughest game right now on our Twitter page. Nebraska on the road. West Virginia if it's at night and the hillbillies get lathered up. The Shorthorns simply because of the atmosphere and rivalry. All choices subject to 11 a.m. kicks, LOL. Uh, we've got a Baylor on there. We've got a Kent State on there. Um, we've I, I would say most answers are Baylor and Nebraska. 
But you're with me, though. You think you still think it's Texas is the toughest. I case. do think it's Texas, and I think it's a toss up at that point between Baylor and Nebraska for number two. I'd be comfortable putting either one there, but no, like the Texas game, you can make the argument is it's always the most important game on the schedule, but especially in year one of the Brent Venables era, I mean that's gonna that's bragging rights for the next year, and that might be bragging rights for even longer than that. Well, if, it, it, and we've seen in the past how much head-to-head matchups can matter in recruiting, and you you, you make that point; it's a good one, but. <laughs> The emotional toll that that game exacts on both sure. teams. It, it was very conspicuous last year for Texas because they ended up on the losing end of that epic 55-48 to 48 comeback victory by the Sooners, and then they lost their next five games thereafter. What about the year before? OU wins that game in multiple overtimes in the season. Totally Never loses changed again. that day in Dallas, and they didn't lose again. Texas kind of fumbled around for the remainder of the season, but sure, man, I, I think absolutely we can go back and look at several years where, you know, whoever wins it, that team kind of goes one way, and the losing team may kind of go the other way. Or 2018, you lose that game, and it lights a fire. 2015 was the same thing. You lose that game, and you end up making the college football playoff. So one way or another, we seemingly always look at that game and say, yeah, that was kind of the turning point one way or the other of the season. But I would tend to put the tougher games for OU at the front end of the schedule versus the back end of the schedule just because, like, I think OU's going to be good next year. I will pick them to win the Big 12. But we'll see what they look like in September, right? Installing a new offense, a new defense, all that. Um, Now, there is advantages for OU because some of those early teams on the schedule won't have a ton of film on OU to know what they're going to look like. But it's fair to assume a little bit, Parker, that this team isn't just going to come out in September and hit on all cylinders. But by the time we get to the month of November, by the time we get to the Baylor game, by the time we get to the OSU game, that's when I expect this team to kind of hit its stride and be playing its best ball. So to me, if I were looking at getting OU on the schedule this year, I would much rather them face, you know, in a spot that Kansas State is in, right? First game of the conference schedule versus, you know, Oklahoma State being the final home game of the year. I'd rather play OU early on versus later on because I do think that this is going to be a team that gets better and better and better as the year goes on because I think the development with the staff's really good. And they'll start to gel. And you see that with teams that have a lot of new contributors and a lot of new positions. You saw it in 2020, and I get that there were a lot of extenuating circumstances with that 2020 season anyway, but there were a lot of guys that were inheriting – enhanced playing time or playing time for the first time, starting roles for the first time, and things got off to a rocky start. But as that year progressed, guys came into their own, they grew together, and you started to see the snowball roll downhill as that team picked up momentum. Text line says, Texas, Nebraska, and then Baylor. Nebraska only because it's before Baylor, more time to get the team in a groove. So I think that we're kind of, you know, for the most part, all in agreement. What's interesting is Oklahoma State is not really making anyone's list up to this point. Now, they beat you last year in Stillwater, but do you feel like the the universal belief no. is that they're going to take a pretty big step back? Yes, yes, they yeah. will take a pretty big step back. I'm not worried about Oklahoma State. I'm not. I, I, think, it'll be, I think it'll be somewhat of a challenging game, but again, like, 
Do you get OSU in a prime spot next year? Last home game of the year. That's where you would want, you know, that that's where you would want that game if you're an OU fan. Also, I yeah, I think OSU is going to take a pretty big step back as well. I think the one that could be a bit of a challenge that maybe people aren't anticipating getting tough is that final game of the regular season against Texas Tech. Yeah, that new staff, man, they got a ton of momentum out there. Yep. The number two recruiting class right now. There hasn't been – man, I, I feel like it's been a, a while since Tech has had this much excitement around his football team. And I think Joey McGuire can coach. They got a new OC. Like We'll see. It's still Texas yeah, we Tech, will see. right? We it's will still, see. It's still Tech. And they're not inheriting the, the best roster, but Tech could be a team that makes major strides you know, throughout the year. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a chance that they roll into that contest with seven or eight wins, and they're looking like a pretty formidable opponent at that point in time. Text line also says Kansas State because they are, uh, we are on a losing streak with them. Well, you beat them last year, so you're not on a losing streak anymore. You were on a two-game losing streak. Now you are on a one-game winning streak against Kansas State. But, yes, if if you want to talk about where's the trap game at this year. Kansas State's always the trap game. Kansas State's it's always, always the trap the, game. Especially at home, man. Yes. I mean, you've had more success against them on the road, I guess, than you have at home here in the past you know, six, eight years or so. But I, that Kansas State game is sandwiched in between the Nebraska game and the Texas game. That's a tough little three-game stretch early on in the season. Nebraska, at Nebraska, Kansas State, and then Texas and Dallas. If you can navigate through that three-game portion of the schedule and come away still unbeaten, then I think you come out of that, Parker, with a whole lot of confidence, and I think that that's the point of the year where this team could really get rolling. But that make no mistake about it. Like None of those wins at the end of the year – are the college football playoff committee going to be saying, wow, what a win. That was one of the best wins in the country. OU winning in Lincoln, boy, that was a special win. OU beating Kansas State at home, dang, Kansas State was a 10-win team this year. That's a marquee win. Like None of those three wins are probably going to be marquee wins, but we all know all three of those games are going to be pretty tough. So that's the challenge for this first-year staff is to you know go 3-0 and in that stretch. Another point made on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, and it's something that I reiterated exactly. Uh, I mentioned this exact point yesterday with Steely. TCU, if Chandler Morris starts, yeah. will be a tough one as well. I'm not really worried about TCU if it's Max Duggan. If it's Chandler Morris, though, that could get dicey. Well, he's just, you know, he's not the best quarterback OU will, you know, have ever faced. But he's a name and a face across the way, Parker, that you don't really want to deal with, you don't want to mess with, you know, because we know that that kid's a gamer. And no, I don't think it's John Elway out there or anything. I mean, this is a guy that ultimately had to transfer away from OU, but we know that this dude can ball a little bit, and uh, you know we know that he'd probably throw out a performance of his life going up against his ex team. Yeah, and he did think, beat Baylor. I mean, he did beat Baylor last year. Yeah, Chandler Morris can play some football, and I think if there's one guy besides Casey Thompson that's going to be motivated to beat the University of Oklahoma, it's going to be Chandler Morris. Sure. Yeah, but um, whew, there's some trap games in there for sure, man. I, but I'm looking at that Kansas State game as. Probably the uh, trappiest of all trap games. All right, keep the text coming. 405-651-3439. Is OU about to be active in the transfer portal? We'll tell you about that coming up next.
Locked in with McComas and Thune on the ref. Air Coverage Solutions text line 405-651-3439. Got a couple Cruton questions on there, so let's get to those here uh, briefly. Jamarian Ficklin, someone asking about him. What's the uh, current status with he and the Sooners? Yeah, so he is visiting this weekend. We know that much. Uh, I don't know a ton about Jamarian Ficklin at this point. Uh, Muskogee High School, class of 2025, you know, they're just – there's so many classes to keep track of that at a certain point you just gotta you, you end up succumbing to the inundation and so uh, certainly going to get around to watching his tape particularly now that uh, he is visiting Oklahoma and that's confirmed but uh, don't don't have a ton to offer on him I know the versatility uh, is something that is coveted at the, at the next level and OU isn't the only school that's ex- expressing interest in him so we'll see where that goes hopefully. Uh, I can have a better answer for you in 24, 48 hours. Uh, we also got a question about Kyler Casper out of the state of Arizona. Four-star wide receiver, six foot five, 195. Uh, you didn't sound too optimistic about that during the break. Yeah, I. he canceled his visit. He canceled his visit to go on vacation. And so, I, to my knowledge, hasn't made an effort to reschedule. I'll continue to dig on that, but at this point, I I never really bought into Casper as a serious consideration for OU. There, I did kind of hold the belief that, okay, maybe there's something there because of how quickly he scheduled his visit after getting the offer and because he very much fit the Jeff Lebby mold. But at least from Casper's end, there was, there was not really any reason to believe he was legitimately interested in in Oklahoma. Oh, you loves Kyler Casper. I can tell you that much. As far as that uh that one-way street in terms of affinity, yes, OU likes Kyler Casper and his skill set doesn't quite seem like it's reciprocated right now though. And so I'm not moving forward with the expectation that Casper is going to be in the mix for OU at wide receiver. I'll ask about one more prospect, uh, a guy that we haven't talked about in a while because most of our attention's been on uh, Lebius Overton. But David Hicks is a five-star defensive lineman out of the state of Texas. There's one crystal ball in for him currently to Texas A&M. Where does OU sit right now in this recruitment? Because um, everyone in the country wants David Hicks at this point. Yeah, well, he's transferring high schools. Yep. That was announced today. He's going back home to Houston to enroll at Katie Pato. So... Hard to feel real optimistic Closer right Closer to now, A&M, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. Now, is that related at all? Perhaps. I, I don't want to speculate, but you know he made the move up to Allen High for his junior year. He was at Morton Ranch in Katy for his freshman and sophomore seasons. Played his junior year at Allen and now goes back to Houston. He's one of those again. kids? Three high schools in four years? Three high schools in four years. Oh, my gosh. And, again, with that family now moving back, much closer to College Station than to Norman. It's hard to feel too optimistic right now about DJ Hicks. And I wasn't – the LT Overton situation is where it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, oh, you might be a bit of a longer shot for DJ Hicks than we're inclined to believe because, oh, you lost out on Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy to A&M. They lost out on LT Overton to A&M. Who's to say it isn't going to happen a third time with DJ Hicks, and particularly with the news that he's transferring back to the KD School District 
Yeah, I I don't feel good about that one right now. Yeah. I don't. Well, how many five-star defensive linemen or how many top 100 defensive linemen are they going to sign in the next two? Are, are they going to have like 13 of those guys on okay. their roster? Here, here, here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. I think this has the opportunity to trend back in Oklahoma's direction this fall because, without question, DJ Hicks is going to be very carefully scrutinizing the situation at AM. How many of those five stars sure. actually see the field? How many actually contribute? And I firmly believe that DJ Hicks is the type of guy that can walk into a collegiate program, any program across the country, day one, and beat out one of the elder statesmen for a starting job. I mean, he's that good and that dominant. But. I think that if the situation down at A&M starts to prove a lot less conducive to playing time for some of the five stars that have previously signed with A&M on the defensive line, maybe that becomes the flaw in the ointment that leads DJ Hicks to start feeling OU again more so than A&M. And we'll may, see. And maybe it starts to blow up as soon as this year. Because here's the thing. like If A&M's ever going to get over the hump and win a national championship, we talk all the time about – Culture, culture, culture. You can't buy culture. It's true. But you also need more than just one elite recruiting class to get over the hump. That goes for OU. That goes for Texas A&M. That goes for a lot of other schools. That gets you closer. A&M's closer talent-wise, don't get me wrong, than where they've been. But, Parker, you can't just have one great recruiting class and expect to all of a sudden dethrone Alabama. you got to have multiple top recruiting classes like that to create the depth that you need to win a title. And we'll see if A&M can replicate that. Maybe they can with this new NIL stuff. But I feel like this recruiting class, what it's really doing is it's creating some unrealistic expectations around that program. And when they don't meet those unrealistic expectations, I think you might see the cool factor that exists right now with A&M take a little bit of a hit. It used to be that recruiting was half the battle, Tyler. It used to be that the battle was half recruiting and half coaching slash culture and getting all that talent to gel. Now recruiting's a third of the battle. Because the other third of the battle, the new third of the battle, is retention. Because in the age of the transfer portal, without question, across every single institution in the FBS, year after year, you are going to have players that get disgruntled with their usage and begin to believe that there is a better opportunity for them elsewhere, and you will see an exodus. There, I, I believe that there was one program as of January, that had not yet had any transfer portal entrance. And it was Oklahoma State, and that very quickly changed once the season ended because, like, Jark Bernard Converse hit the portal. I'm trying to think if there were others. Shane Illingworth hit the portal. They had uh, – someone went to Ohio State along with the new D.C., correct? Yes, yes. Who was that? Uh, It was one of the defensive backs. I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that goes to show you. Everybody is dealing with attrition via the portal, and that's something that everybody is going to have to deal with going forward. And so, yes, recruiting is no less important than it has been before, but there is a new factor that is arguably just as important as recruiting, and that is the ability to retain your players, not just recruit them. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably more pressure now than ever. If you're going to sign a five-star guy, 
that he's able to get out on the field immediately. I mean, especially at a school, school like Texas A&M, just at some point, Parker, it comes down to a numbers game. And they've got way too many numbers right now, I think, to keep everyone happy yeah, uh, I mean, up front of the defensive line. I will be surprised, and I'll say it time and time again, I will be surprised if half the players in this 2022 recruiting class for A&M end up finishing their collegiate career as Aggies. We can start, we can start a tracker. We'll, go, we'll actually do that. We will start a tracker. Of the 30 players that sign with A&M in this class, I am willing to wager that no more than 15 of them are Aggies when they get done with college ball. I have a feeling that in 10 years or in five years, like we're going to be talking about this class in recruiting for a long time. Not because of how you know highly rate. Well, partly because of highly of how highly rated this class was, Parker. But because of how many guys didn't see the full three to four years at Texas A and M. Like this is the class we are going to use as an example as to why you know NIL isn't always the best way to approach things. God, you remember that A and M class that had uh, thirty guys and all those defensive linemen. I mean, look at how many of those dudes ended up at other schools. Look at how many total tackles and total sacks that defensive line class has. I feel like we're going to be using this class as an example for several years down the road of, well, you better be careful of how you use this thing. Yeah, it's going to be an example one way or another. It's either going to be, wow, you remember how quickly A&M adapted to the new age with NIL and put together that astronomically good recruiting class that took their program to another level? Or it's going to be... Yeah, A&M sold out for NIL, and it blew up in their faces. Here's an example of what not to do in the new era of recruiting. And I'll laugh the entire time if, if that's the case. Boy, I'll have a good old time with making fun of uh, A&M. Hey, teased it before the break. OU going to get a little portal action coming up here from a uh, player from the University of Alabama last season? What's the situation there? Oh, we we get into this now? I mean, just real quick, yeah, before we hit a break. So Ajay Hall, four-star wide receiver out of the 2021 class, signed with Bama over Oklahoma and several other contenders. As of this morning, he is no longer with the team. Caught four passes for 72 yards for Alabama as a true freshman. So the expectation is that he's going to enter the portal. He's not officially in the portal yet, but if he's not if he's not with Alabama, you know, it's kind of a one-way ticket out of Tuscaloosa at that point. If Nick Saban says you're not coming back, you don't have any choice but to leave. So it will be interesting to see where Ajay Hall lands. Uh, from what I have been told, Florida and USC are two schools to watch, as is OU. But with that noted, I don't think Ajay Hall is a cultural fit at OU. And so I find it I find it hard to believe that there will be interest reciprocated on the Oklahoma end. I know Ajay Hall sure. has interest in Oklahoma from the people I've talked to. The question is, is there is that a two way street? Sure, I'm not convinced it will be. Yeah, I, OU doesn't need help. OU's fine at wide receiver. And I think so too. I, I would tend to think that. Brent says probably thanks, but no thanks. But we'll see. 405-651-3439. Text us. Air Comfort Solutions text line. More to come next right here on Locked In. Locked In with the McComas and Thune. Bob Stoops joins us next hour at 320 on The Rush. Be sure to tune in for that. Here's something that will get people excited. 12 freshmen we can't wait to see in the spring game via 24-7 sports. And this isn't just OU. This is just 12 freshmen across the country. Uh, this particular rider can't wait to see in a spring game. 
there's some notable names. Uh, Kate Klubnick, quarterback at Clemson. Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy, defensive lineman at Texas A&M. But there was one freshman that OU at OU that was mentioned in this article. Ooh. Want to go ahead and take a guess as to uh, who it is? Okay. Was it my boy Javante Barnes? I'll read, no, but I'll read you the Dang description. It. Track guy who has run as fast as 10-3-7 at over 200 pounds. Jaden Rowe. Multi-positional player in high school, but future projection is most likely outside linebacker. Explosive player who has good burst, acceleration, and obvious speed to pursue on defense. Uh, it's Jaron Canick, isn't Jaren it? Jaron Canick. Ball skills he shows on offense could translate to defense, where he should be a strong coverage backer if that's indeed where he ends up playing. Times his blitz as well, and when combined with his quickness, that allows him to penetrate and make plays in the backfield. There are several players, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, super seniors, whatever, that this fan base is excited to see in the spring game. Um, Jared, Jaron Canick falls into – I think he falls in the handful of guys that are right there at the top. Dylan Gabriel, Jaron Canick. Um, how many other guys you want to throw in there? Jalil Farouk might be in there as well. There's several sure. guys that I think are, you know, kind of worth the 10, 15 bucks to go watch this thing in 18 days. Yeah, I, there's a lot to be excited about with Jaron Canick. And I'll say this much I am curious to figure out what his eventual fit is in the Oklahoma defense because, yeah, he's working at linebacker, but man, you can put that dude anywhere on the field. And I mean, you can put him anywhere on the field. Heck, if he had to play defensive tackle, I'm convinced Jaron Cannon could do a pretty serviceable job. But, no, you could line him up at safety. You could put him at linebacker. He could bulk up and be an edge rusher. But with his combination of speed and athleticism, yeah, he's going to be a special football player at the University of Oklahoma. And if I had to put money on one freshman contributing on the defensive side of the ball, in 2022, at the top of my list are Jaron Kanick and Robert Spears Jennings. Yeah, he's, I mean, you could make an argument he's the most versatile player they have on the roster right yes. now, defensively. Now, I'm not concerned about this. I, I, I do wonder if some people are, that if he's so versatile that he's going to be looked at as a tweener for a lot of positions. Again, I'm not I'm not worried about that at all, Parker. I think that they're going to find where he fits best and put him there, and he's going to have a chance to be a really, really good player for this defense. But I am, like you, very curious as to what exactly that spot in this defense is going to be. You know you want him out there with that, with that size and that speed, but where exactly is that going to be? The cheetah? Know. That's the, the coolest. Position. It's the coolest name on the uh, on the defense. I feel like that kind of has to be where you use Jaron Canick. Is it the cheetah? Come on, like people are already going to be terrified of that dude. You give him the cheetah designation. Oh boy, it really feels no, like it, it fits. It, 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 <laughs> it feels, really feels predatory. Like it, fits. it seriously feels like he like he he fits all of that. I mean, just the speed alone and and, and what he can run. Uh, yeah. Let's all root for that to happen because that would be pretty cool if he was playing the, the cheetah position. But regardless of who's playing that this year, that's that's one of the cooler names. I And there's a the, the jack position uh, has been around football for a while now. That was really cool. But the cheetah, that's, that's pretty sweet. I can, uh, I can get on board with that one. 
But yeah, Canik for sure. I I guess who is the Dylan Gabriel got to be the main draw. In I would spring think so. Game, correct. I would think so. Yeah. Him and Brent Venables. Like those are those are the two that people are showing up to see. But I I, I think that the expectations are pretty high for Dylan Gabriel, and for the most part, we know what he can do. It's not going to be a situation where you see Kyler Murray for the first time up close and say, "Oh my God, I did not know that that guy was that fast." Wow. Like you get. You know what you're kind of getting with Dylan Gabriel. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think that he's a, a really good quarterback. He's a very accomplished quarterback. What I'm saying is I don't think that there's he is the most hyped player in this thing, but I don't know, Parker, if he's going to necessarily do anything that makes everyone say, oh, my God, I didn't know that he could do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's the spring game. You know, the reality is very few players actually stand out at the spring game. Well, it's most of the time it's a bad thing if you do exactly. stand out at the spring exactly. game. N- normally, the guys that stand out at the spring game are the guys that are like, whoa, whoa, what, what was that? Well, no, like if you if you have an otherworldly spring game, in general, that's just something that you don't see year to year. The guy that probably had the best spring game last year was Caleb Williams. And again, Caleb Williams didn't do anything particularly special. He was 10 of 11 for 99 yards, threw a touchdown pass to Jackson Sumlin. Didn't really throw the ball down the field at all, but was efficient, made good decisions, got the ball out quick, and everybody walked away really, really impressed with his skill set. But again, nobody walked away. I, at least I don't think many people walked away going, dang, Caleb Williams is going to unseat Spencer Rattler. Well, here's the thing. We joked about it. So we halfway joked about it after the game. It's you did? like, oh, do we got a quarterback battle now? Like, that's the way that uh, Teddy and I at least talked. It was kind of, oh, do we have a quarterback battle now? Like, making fun of it, but also at the same time, not saying it out loud, do we have a quarterback battle on yeah, our hands here, I, potentially? I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it's any particular secret. I was on the Caleb Williams train from July 2020, so I... I fully expected that kind of performance from him at the spring game, and he he was all that, obviously, and he proved he was all that come the fall in the confines of the Cotton Bowl at the Red River Showdown. But, no, I think I think people are curious to see what Dylan Gabriel has to offer. I think they're curious to see what some of these freshmen look like as they make the adjustment to the speed of the collegiate game. By the way, uh, Teddy's sworn enemy, Bud Elliott, said the other day on his podcast that Dylan Gabriel's a Heisman contender. Whoa! How's that going to be the case when they look like Maryland going into – well, I guess he could still be a Heisman contender this year, and, oh, you could look like Maryland going into the SEC, which, I mean, still sounds really, really stupid. Yeah, I mean, all of, the, all of the denizens on his podcast were essentially conducting a Heisman draft. So they each took turns picking players that they think will have a chance to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, and Bud had – it was a snake draft, so he ended up in the second round with, like, the sixth pick, I think. And he said, going to Norman, Dylan Gabriel. Well, I mean, why not? I, I don't think that he's going to win it. I think that this is probably C.J. Stroud's award this year, quarterback at Ohio State. But if he loses a couple games, they lose to Notre Dame week one, this award could be wide open because I do not think that Bryce Young is going to repeat as the uh, Heisman Trophy winner. I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah, he, here's the thing. You want you want to make yourself believe that Bryce Young is that good to be able to repeat as the Heisman Trophy winner, and he is that good. Let's not get it twisted. But how many times have we had that conversation oh, about oh, the yeah, returning yeah, yeah. Heisman winner? Like, no matter how good they look, no matter how big of a gap there seems to be between them and the rest of the field – 
rarely, if ever, Tyler, and this is not necessarily limited to incumbents defending Heisman Trophy winners, but really it never seems to be the case that the preseason favorite for the Heisman actually takes it home. No, we're, we're always looking for we will – you know, anoint them the winner in early October, but as soon as we do that, we're looking for someone else to emerge. And once they have just the slightest bit of a bad game, Parker, or lose a game, we completely throw them out and write them off. Oh, he's not good anymore. He's not winning the high. We look for a reason not to give Guy uh, another Heisman winner. So he would really have to backdoor his way into a second Heisman if, if it were to happen I this mean, year. Tua had the 2018 Heisman until Thanksgiving. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence had the 2018 he- or 2019 Heisman until about Thanksgiving. Uh, 2020, nobody knew who was going to win the Heisman until the day of the ceremony. But if I had to pick, like, who's the Heisman candidate on this team this year for OU? I definitely think it's Dylan Gabriel. Now, Jaleel Farouk could emerge and, and look like the best wide receiver in college football. That could happen. But I think that there's so much wide receiver talent that. I don't think it's just going to be – I don't think it's going to be a D.D. Westbrook situation where every time you you need a big play, you're throwing it to D.D. I think that Mims is going to get his look. Farouk's going to get his look. Uh, Braden Willis is going to get his look. There's going to be too much spreading the ball around for it to be anyone other than Dylan Gabriel, IMO. Come on now, Tyler. You're not buying the Heisman hype for Ethan Downs? Oh, that's right. You're an Ethan Downs hater. That's right. Now, I- Isaiah Coe, that's who I'm buying it for. <laughs> Come on, we have our guys. All right, one final segment coming up next. Keep lighting up the text line. Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. One final segment of Locked In coming up next. Elite Roofing Systems bringing you this hour of Locked In. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. Elite Roofing Systems servicing all of Oklahoma's roofing needs. Free quotes. Give them a call today. Oklahoma City, 405-361-3094. Tulsa, 918-984-5475. Check them out. EliteRoofing.com. Elite Roofing Systems bringing you this hour of Locked In. Text line, I'm going to guess that this is Kendall. Don't sleep on Ben Harris like OU is sleeping on Cole Adams. Hashtag burn. The hashtag burn. (laughs) Yep, that's definitely Kendall. When is the last time someone blew you away at the spring game or got you really excited? Other than like a backup quarterback exceeding expectations or something. Yeah, That's a fair point. Actually, it's a bad omen if a quarterback does play well at the spring game. Really what you want is you want a quarterback that goes out there and kind of stinks it up. Baker stunk it up a spring game. Uh, I remember I remember the spring game, Parker, going into the 2018 season, Kyler's year, and it was really windy that day. I remember uh, walking up to Teddy after that spring game and saying, wow, uh, that was a sobering reminder that Baker Mayfield is not the quarterback around here anymore. I, I took it as the gospel of, like, oh, Kyler looked bad in the spring game today. Woo, you're not going to have as good a quarterback play. Well, look what happened, right? There's been plenty of guys in the past that haven't looked all that impressive in the spring game. They're the starter next year, and they light it up. So maybe OU needs Dylan Gabriel to go out and throw a couple interceptions. Just saying. It's worked out well in the past. If you stink it up in the spring game, it's almost like you're at least guaranteed a spot in New York City for the Heisman Trophy presentation. Okay, so what we're saying is Dylan Gabriel needs to go 0 for 6 with a pick, and then we're in great shape. Yes. 
Okay. No, if Dylan Gabriel has bad numbers in a spring game, I will throw money down on him as a uh, Heisman Trophy winner. Oh, year. man. Yes. So does this mean if Ben Harris is atrocious at the spring game that he's taking the job from Gabriel? No. <laughs> no, it's – sorry. I just want to sorry, see how far Kendall. that logic would stretch. Sorry, Kendall. This is uh, Dylan Gabriel's job. You know, I am curious about what the big home game is going to be this year for recruiting. And I'm trying to think of like what the best home environment is going to be for a recruiting weekend. Because, Parker, they're wanting to blow this spring game out with the recruits that are going to be here. They're pushing every single day. Buy your tickets to the spring game. Some of the best recruits in the country are going to be here. Do it. What game is that going to be during the season? Baylor or Oklahoma State? Oklahoma State, I would think. You think Oklahoma State is going to be the huh, – yeah. Yep. I mean, I would guess that that's going to be your best – environment all season long um I didn't know if it was going to be too late in the year though to host like some big time recruiting weekend but you're right in terms of what the best environment is going to be UTEP will be awesome just because it's the first game Baylor will be pretty good because it's maybe the best team that you're going to face this year but that OSU game much like there was venom in the stadium two years ago I feel like there's going to be a decent amount of venom for a little bit of a revenge factor against the Cowboys this year just a hunch on that one. Yeah, if and look, here's the, here's the plan. The strategy for Oklahoma from a recruiting standpoint is to load up all the official visitors on one weekend. I figure that'll be Oklahoma State. There's a chance it's Baylor, but my money would be on Oklahoma State, particularly because it is the last home game of the year. Yeah. All right, that does it for Locked In. The Rush coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Ref.